Before we delve into our podcast today, we wanted to apologize for the background noise you'll hear doing the interview. As is sometimes necessary, we had to interview today's subject, Jessica, on the street. And so there is a background hum. We will do better in the future. There's a lot of things that I wanted to talk to her about before she died and I didn't get to talk to her about. Make everything with her selling me for dope and forcing me to be with somebody I didn't want to be with. Ruining my life because I felt like that was the beginning of the cycle of coming out to the streets. Welcome to She Survives, where we give a voice to women living on the streets of America. I'm Christine Barber, founder of Street Safe New Mexico, a nonprofit that works with women who are surviving on the streets of the war zone in Albuquerque, New Mexico. In this broadcast, we'll be using some terminology that some listeners might not be familiar with. The first is called getting well. That's how people on the street refer to the need to use drugs. Uh, So for instance, if I needed to go use, I would say I need to go get well. Then as always, we'll be talking about doing dates. Dates is what they call the sale of sex on the street. We have no issue with the sale of sex, um, which most people will call prostitution. This is just a fact of life for women on the street and something they must do to earn money. We also will be discussing sex trafficking. A sex trafficking victim is somebody who is forced, either by emotional manipulation or by physical violence, to go do dates and then must give the money they earn from doing those dates to someone else. When you work with women on the street, you hear a lot of brutal stories about addiction, about cruelty, about violence. You try to not let those stories harden you. You try to hold on to humanity super tight. You watch over it really closely, as if you might lose it at any moment. Because the truth is, you might. It's actually easy to spot those nonprofit workers who have lost their compassion. They're the ones who yell at the people they're supposed to be serving, and they curse at them, and they say things like, you should be grateful we're helping you at all. But those toxic people probably originally got into service work to help others. Once upon a time, they cared about the homeless or the addicted or the trafficked. But over the months or years, those brutal stories and the things they witnessed just got to them. The horror that they heard and saw got an opening, and it proceeded to tease apart their psyche, piece by piece, until they were burnt out. And once the burnout happens, there's no coming back from that. So I've learned to protect my humanity. It's a precious thing. That way I can listen to the next story with compassion and respect, and then the next, and then the next. After a decade of doing this work, I think I might have finally figured out the trick. You keep yourself in the moment. You don't dwell on the horror of the story that you're hearing. You don't get upset internally about the ins and outs of this cruel uh, tale that you're being told. 
Instead, you focus on the woman in front of you who is telling it. You look at her as she is in the now, and you see her as the epic, undefeated survivor that she is. But having said this, there are still certain stories that can break through. Ones that get through all of my security measures I've put around my soul. Those are usually the stories about the moms who sell their kids. These are the women who, when they need to get their next fix, they give their kid to a stranger for an hour or the night. I've actually met moms like this and talked to them about how they could possibly do this. Their justification is like that of all sex abusers. The mom will say, oh, it doesn't really hurt the child, or, oh, the kid enjoys it, or the teen went along freely because uh, she didn't want to see me suffer. But these types of addicted moms are really rare. The vast majority of moms with addictions would never do this. In fact, on the street, if there is a mom selling a child, other addicted mothers will be the first ones to come tell me about it. These women are united in coming and, and reporting it to me, knowing I'm going to go to the police or children's services. Even though they live in a community where snitching is completely prohibited, they do this because they look at these other mothers and see them for the awful people that they are. Thankfully, the police now act quickly on these cases because selling a child isn't just child abuse, it's actually human sex trafficking. As for the children, they often never realize until decades later that what their parents did to them was trafficking. That's the case for Jessica, who was a teenager in 1999 when her mother first sold her to a man for crack. In this podcast, Jessica learns for the first time that what her mother did was sex trafficking. I met a kid. My mom kind of pushed me on him because uh, he was selling crack and she wanted crack. Oh, so your mom used? Yeah. Okay. So she kind of wanted to. He would, like, when he, I would spend time with him, he would pay, like, pay her in crack. So... She would get paid for you to spend time with him? Yeah, pretty much. So you know that's human trafficking, right? Uh-oh. Did you ever think about it that way? So it's when someone is kind of either forcing you to do dates or someone else gets paid to do the dates that you are doing. And so you're because your mom was getting paid and you in crack, I'm not trying to speak ill of your mom. No, I know, I know. So how long were you together with him? Um, I stayed with him for like a year. And then uh, I found uh, satanic stuff. It freaked me out. And I ran out of the house and I never went back to him. So he was Satan worshiping? I think he was He was like a, like a witch. When when did you start actually doing date? I don't oh, when know. I was with him, because he would give me the crack for free, and then when he was mad at me, he wouldn't give it to me, and I was already like so strung out. So you had to start doing dates to afford it. Started doing them off and on. Were you and doing them on the street, or were you doing them? I was doing them on the street. How? When did you? When were you first addicted? Like when did you first start drugs? And I was like 12, 13. And it was in the house already because your mom was using? My mom gave me, my mom used to let me smoke weed with her. 
my 13th birthday, she smoked my first joint, what she thought was my first joint with me. My mom gave me my first crack hit. When you were how old? 18. So when you were 18, your mom gave you your first crack hit, and she also tried to give you your first weed, but it wasn't your first weed when you were 12. Yeah. Yep. Is your mom still alive? Uh-uh. She just died a couple years ago. I'm so sorry. It sounds like you guys had a really complicated relationship. Yeah, bad. I mean, there's a lot of things that I wanted to talk to her about before she died and I didn't get to talk to her about it since. Like what kind of stuff? Like everything with her selling me for dope and forcing me to be with somebody I didn't want to be with. Ruining my life because I felt like that was the beginning of the cycle of coming out to the streets and all that stuff like that. I just want to know why she didn't love me. So, your mom kind of started you down the path of using and stuff? My mom got, yeah, my mom got me started on every drug that I had a problem with. She got me started on all and every one. Meaning that she gave it to you for the first yeah, like, crack um, you start? Yeah, like after the, the crack, it was pills. What kind of pills? The opiates, oxys, perks, whatever. She was taken up first, and then I started taking up because she was taking up because I wanted to see, you know. How, long, how often have you tried to get clean? I tried a bunch of times. About a dozen times. <laughs> What's the longest you've gone without any drugs? Five years. That's pretty, pretty damn good. Yeah. And what made you go back? I had an accident. Got hit by a motorcycle. You were in a car or you were walking? I was walking. And I had my hip replaced. And uh, they put me on all kinds of medication. Did they know that you had a problem with pills? No, I didn't want to tell them. Because I didn't want them to not give me any. Well, yeah, because you're in a lot of pain, so yeah. of course you're going to want something. Yeah, so they had me on the morphine drip, and then they had me on all kinds of pills. All different kinds. It's how much is how much is your addiction costing per day? How much you spend in drugs a day? Like $100, $200. That's pretty average for most people I know. It's yeah. about 180 How much is your hotel costing you a night? 45 so you have to make the forty. You have to make a hundred at a minimum for the for so you can stay well, and then you have forty five for the hotel, and then you have to eat. So how many dates is that a day? Uh, well, for me it's like three or four because I charge more. How um, much do you charge for? I usually typically like doing half and half, fifty and hundred. Fifty for oral. Uh-huh. And then a hundred for full vaginal. Uh-huh. Okay. And then I do like this special thing, you know, I say, you know, I do have a special for like 80 bucks. You could get both for 80, uh, half sex and then, I mean, half blowjob and finish with sex for 80 bucks. That's a really smart move. I haven't ever heard anybody doing that before. <laughs> do they take you up on the, the special pretty often? Yeah. When you did your first date with somebody that you didn't know, like you did it with a stranger, that must have been pretty awful and weird. Yeah, at the time, you don't really think about what you're doing because you're so high, and you just want to get more high, but afterwards, you're just like, what the fuck did I just do? Like, 
I knew I was in trouble because I knew that there was like a never-ending supply of money that I could just always go out to the street and just get it. And that was scary because I knew that, I guess I kind of figured it was like over from there. You could always go out of the street and get another date and then go get more drugs. Yeah. Now I do it because that's like the only way I know how to get money. Well, because then you've been, you've been doing this for how long now? How far did you get in school? Like 10th grade. And then you dropped out? Yeah. You were trafficked as an underage kid. You don't know any other life. You know, like if you tried to go get a job at McDonald's, how's that going to go? That didn't go good. (laughs) (laughs) You tried that? Yeah. And it did not go well? I can't work. Yeah, it was too much and I tried to learn the registers and then I couldn't do it right and... I just felt dumb. I just feel like they're, they're gonna judge me right away. So you feel either judged or you I feel, feel like, like this is the only thing I'm good at. Is being out here on the street and selling sex? But it's also the only thing that you know, Jess. I know. Really? It doesn't mean it's the only thing that you're good at. It's the only thing you've ever known. I don't sex. In a perfect world, what would you want to be doing with your life? Being a, being a wife. I don't know, maybe have some kind of degree or something. Any kind of degree specifically that you've ever thought about? A medical. I always wanted to work in the medical field. So. Be a medical assistant or doctor, nurse, that kind of thing? Yeah. You just like helping other people? Yeah. I do. Makes me feel good. like to find out more about Street Safe New Mexico and She Survives, please go to streetsafenewmexico.org. There you'll find information about our organization and information about how you could donate. All donations are greatly appreciated and will go directly to help women living on the streets of Albuquerque, New Mexico.